Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you. I'm going to move this so it doesn't become a tripping hazard. But um, I just want to, one quick announcement, just want to remind everybody that Trey Johnson will be here Sunday morning. You guys do not want to miss out. He does a phenomenal job, powerful job. If you missed him this last summer, um, he will be here this Sunday morning at 10. So make sure that you guys don't miss out on that. Um, and then Conquer, it's coming up. I think we are about maxed out, actually. I think there's only 10 spots left. So if you know anybody or 10 people, Invite them, because that's all we have left. So whichever you want to do, one or ten, anywhere in between, that's all we have left. But we're very, very excited. And that's coming up here at the end of July. I told somebody the other day that it was at the end of August. They were very confused. It's definitely the end of July. So let me just rephrase that. So don't come at the end of August. Come at the end of July. But we are going to jump into the word. Um, I'm very, very, very excited for the word. It's a very fun word, very light word, but a very challenging word all at the same time. So as I was praying this morning, um, my phone kept going off, and I usually turn my phone off on the days that I'm studying just because it literally will just go off all day long. And so when I went over to check what notification was coming up, it was Instagram notifications, and it was all these notifications that so-and-so is following you, so-and-so is following you, so-and-so is following you. I'm like, I don't even know so-and-so. Why are they following me? Like, how do they know where I'm going to take them? Like, I, they have no clue who I am because I don't know who they are. And I started thinking about that. And as I was praying for service, I went, I wonder how many of us live life that way. That we live based on, I mean, because we're all following somebody. We're all following something. And the title of my message tonight is Follow the Leader. And so on that same idea there that where, where are we taking the people that are following us? And who's following us? But where do we take them? And I stopped and was just thinking about that for a minute. And I went, where do we take people? Anybody in our life that might be looking up to us? Anybody in our life that we're surrounded with? Anybody in our life that we maybe just talk to? Maybe it's a complete stranger. Something in every human interaction that I have, whether on my phone, on Facebook, on Instagram, on the internet, in person, wherever it may be, at the grocery store, because we don't go in anymore. We all do the checkout thing where they bring it to your car. So with that person, where do you take them in the time that you're around them? Where do we take people? Because we're all following somebody. We're all following something. Where do we take them? And so in Follow the Leader, we play this game a lot in the classrooms. Okay, If you have not played Follow the Leader, you missed out on a great part of childhood. You can still play as adults. But we all know the idea behind the game. Okay, With Follow the Leader, you have a designated leader, right? And everybody lines up behind them. And the only rule to the game is that you have to do, you have to follow, and you have to say everything that the leader does, says, and goes. So everybody's in a line, every kid's in line. So if the leader goes like this, everybody in the line has to go like this. And if they make a noise while they're doing it, everybody has to do it. If you do not follow the leader, you're out of the game. So I was thinking about this game, the rules of this game, and another thing that came to mind is in all of the children's classrooms, and as many times as we have played the game, follow the leader, I have never had a kid say, can I please be a follower this time? Every one of them wants to be the leader. They all want to make the rules of the game. Every single kid in the classroom, they want the chance to be able to make the noises that everybody else makes. They want to go where no one else has gone yet. They want, they want to make the rules of the game. They don't want to be the followers because they get out, because they don't want to do everything that the leader is doing, right? And so as I was thinking that through, I went, okay, so we're all following something or somebody, but then how many of us have to be the leader? Because we don't want to do what everybody else is doing, or we don't want to go where everybody else is going. We don't want to talk, or sometimes we think we're the leader, but we're really just imitating who we're following. We just don't recognize that we're imitating who we're following. And so we're all playing this giant game of follow the leader. And let me open my notes so I don't skip anything extra important here. And so in by following, because if you think of the line of kids, that are playing follow the leader. By following, they are imitating the leader, right? So by following the leader, we are literally imitating the leader. So in our lives, if we're all following something or somebody, we are all imitating something or somebody. So let's look at the, the definition of the word follow here. And the definition is to imitate, to copy, to follow in pattern or model, to pursue as an object of desire, or to chase. 
to move in the same course or direction, to obey, to observe, to act in conformity to, to pursue with the eye or to keep the eyes fixed on. So that's just to follow. Well, then I start looking through the word of God, all the times that it says follow. Jesus by himself said the phrase, follow me 13 times just in the gospel. 13 times. We, we repeat things in the classroom a lot because we want you to get what we're trying to say. And so if Jesus repeats this 13 times in four books, it's pretty important. And so I looked up what a follower, uh, the biblical definition of a follower was. And it is one who obeys, worships, and honors. One that takes another as his guide in doctrine, opinion, example, and belief. A dependent, an imitator. One under the command of another. To follow in character, in speech, in desire, in obedience, in commitment, in thought, in action, and in intention. That goes pretty deep pretty fast. Because in our society that we live in, you follow somebody by clicking follow. <laughs> right? You can, you can all go follow somebody right now on your phone. And if you don't have that technology, your neighbor has it. I promise. That is the statistics in this room. So you can go follow somebody by just clicking a button. Now, I'm not going to probably imitate everybody that I follow. I follow all kinds of people that I don't even know I follow. I was looking the other day. I'm like, I follow like 400 people. I don't even think I know 400 people. But so you follow with just a click of a button. Follow means nothing in our society. Follow means, I mean, as long as I can kind of see what's going on and keep up with them. And we, we say that a lot. I catch myself saying that a lot. Well, I'm trying to keep up with, with what you guys are doing on Facebook. I know it's been forever since I've seen you. And we say that so just loosely, right? We say, well, yeah, I'm keeping up with your life. We haven't spoken like seven years, but we're keeping up because we follow them. But then we take that exact definition that society has come up with, and that's how we follow Jesus as well. We follow out of convenience. We just keep up with what the new hot topic is, with what's going on. And everybody says, I'm a follower of Jesus. Everybody wants to follow Jesus, but what does that mean? And based on this definition, how many of us can honestly say, we are actually following Jesus? Because when you look up imitating and, and you look at all the definitions behind following, you look at all the definitions behind, uh, behind imitating, you don't imitate someone in action without in, uh, imitating them in your inside first. You can't imitate externally without imitate internally first. It would have had to go through your mind. It would have had to go through your heart. It would have had to go through inside before it could ever happen outside. I can't just lift my arm up without thinking, lift my arm up, right? And so when we're in, imitating, and this is all laying a foundation for where we're headed, but when we're imitating someone, it has to take place on the inside before it takes place on the outside. And so many of us will, will live our lives, and, and we see it a lot with little kids. Little kids get new friends, right? My nephew right now, he's, he's hilarious, but he was talking to me the other day, and he says this statement. I don't even remember what he said. And he goes, I sounded just like my friend so-and-so, huh, Andy? And I said... <laughs> You actually did sound just like your friend so-and-so. And so he's picking up phrases and he's picking up these things and he only likes certain colored boots because his friend has a certain colored boots. It's not because he likes those boots because his friend likes those boots. So we see it a lot in little kids. Well, then you see it all the way through junior high and high school. Teenagers like different things at different times. They have different interests. They dress one way in different, in different crowds of people. We have all kinds of different... I had like the skater phase where I loved the skater shoes. It was just my favorite thing on earth. I hated skinny jeans. I thought heels and cute clothes and fixing your hair was a dumb idea. I really was like, let's go jeans and hoodies every single day. And my mom goes, Shelby, you got to look like a girl. Mm, it's overrated. And now I absolutely love my heels and my dresses. And I just, I love it. But there was that phase where I wanted nothing but my DC shoes and a hoodie. That's all I wanted to wear and my hair in a ponytail. And if I could wear basketball shorts every day, I would have rolled with that. But why? That was this phase because that was the group I was hanging out with. Now, if that group would have liked something else, I probably would have liked something else. Not because they told me you can't be in our group without wearing DC shoes, but because I noticed their shoes. And so then internally, I desired a pair of those shoes because I thought I needed to fit in with that group. So then I wore those shoes. 
So with us, the same way, we're all following somebody or something. And if we were to think through the things that we do in life, the choices that we make in life, the way we believe, the opinions that we have, if we were to think back through all of those, where did they come from? Who are we imitating? Is it somebody we look up to? Is it a parent without us knowing? You know, the story of the, my, my dad has said it multiple times, but the story of the ham that wouldn't fit in the pot. And so they, they cut off the ends of the ham. Well, generations down the line, they can't figure out why they're cutting off the ends of the ham to cook the ham. It makes no sense. Why would you cut off the ends of the ham to cook the ham? And so they, they ask up the chain, they ask the great grandma, why, why do you cut off the ends of the ham before you cook the ham? She goes, it wouldn't fit in my pot. But for generations, they've cut this off because that's how you cook a ham. That's not how you cook a ham. It just wouldn't fit in her specific pot at the time. You can cook the whole thing. And, but we pick up so many of those things out of an imitation of someone or something throughout our life. And so let's, let's go a little holy for a minute. Let's go to, to Matthew 4.18. We are going to go to scripture tonight. But I'm going to read out of the Amplified. So we're going to go to Matthew 4.18, and then I'm going to read it through the Amplified. And it says, As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he noticed two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me. And then here's why I like the Amplified. As my disciples accepting me as your master and teacher and walking the same path of life that I walk. Walking the same path of life that I walk. And sometimes we think follow me means I go to church mostly, except for during the summer because we're really busy and we don't go to church during the summer. <laughs> but I mostly go to church and I mostly read my Bible, except for when I'm tired and I don't get up early enough to read my Bible. And there's just the busy seasons where there's no time to read our Bible. And... I go to the Conquer Conference, but it doesn't happen the last three years, so that's not my fault that I didn't get closer to Jesus the last three years. That's Cindy's fault for not having Conquer. But, and then I go to, and that's what we think following Jesus is. The verse pops up on my phone every day, and we think that that is following Jesus. But when Jesus said it here, when in, the way he says it is that, as my disciples accepting me as your master, as your teacher, and walking the same path of life that I walk. The same path of life that I walk. So when Jesus said, follow me, it wasn't like, hey, follow me. That's not what he said. I know that there was, I know here this is all they say, but there had to be so much more that he explained to them, and we're going to get into that in just a bit, that they would drop what they were doing and just turn and follow him. Because how many of you guys on the street, somebody goes, hey, follow me. You're like, okay, good idea. And you just follow them. No one's going to do that with a complete stranger. Maybe some of you will. I personally would not just follow somebody that said, hey, follow me. I'd want to know who it was, where they were going, and why it was important for me to follow them. And we're going to see that Jesus actually explains that to them. But then it says, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him becoming his disciples, believing and trusting in him and following his example. And going on further from there, he noticed two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them to follow him as his disciples. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him, becoming his disciples, believing and trusting in him and following his example. Simple phrase. We read it all the time. And you'll see it quoted, you know, follow me, follow me. We see that. But when we actually find out truly what Jesus was saying, what follow me actually means. But then not only that, when it says that the disciples said that immediately they followed him, believing, trusting in him, and following his example. There's many of us that have chose to follow Jesus. We've made the decision to follow Jesus. We haven't changed anything in our lifestyle, and we're years into our salvation and still do not trust him. 
still do not believe that he is everything. We live like he's an option. We live like he's not enough. We live like something else can give us more than what Jesus has to offer us. And we're years into our salvation. But it says immediately that they followed him and that they trusted him. So let's keep going. Um, let's look at Matthew 9, 9. So this is when Jesus is calling the disciples. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me as my disciple, accepting me as your master and teacher and walking the same path of life that I walk. And Matthew got up and followed him. He got up and followed him. The same phrase, the same word follow me was used there. And it says that Matthew got up and followed him. Now let's look at John 1, 43. We're going to go to a bunch of scriptures just here for a minute just to really see the, the fullness of this follow me here. So Matthew 1, 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me as my disciple, accepting me as your master and teacher, walking the same path of life that I walk. Walking the same path of life that I walked. Said the exact same thing here to Philip. So we see, and we're going to go on here, but we see each disciple, he said the same thing. Follow me. So what did he have to offer that made following him so important? And now that we understand what following actually means, when it's giving up everything, when it's honoring, when it's worshiping, when it's getting rid of every view that I had before, the opinions, the beliefs, the thought patterns, the character, everything that I was before, I'm laying that aside to follow this person. What made that so important? Let's look at uh, Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, remember the ones that he called and said to follow me, right? If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, and then you can fill in the rest of that, and master, walking the path that I walk, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interest, and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example, in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of the faith in me. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it. That is, life with me for all eternity. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, wealth, fame, and success, but forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So now he's explaining a little more of what this follow me actually means. So he's, he's telling the disciples here, okay, you followed me, but let me explain what that actually means. That means any selfish ambition. That means anything outside of me, you're saying no to. Everything in me, you're saying yes to. It may seem that you're dying here on earth. Your desires are dying. Your, your, what you think life should look like you're dying. It may seem like all of that is dying, but you, what you do not realize is that you are gaining life. You're gaining life that you can get from nothing. You can, you're gaining life that you can get from no other source. There's nothing on earth that can give you the life that I want to give you. Nothing here, nothing you can gain, no success, no fame, no wealth, no anything. There's no relationship, there's no friendship. Nothing that you can come up with can give you the kind of life that I have for you. So that's the exchange that's taking place. But he's saying you, you can't be, and we see in Revelation where it says that you need to be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. So we know that there's no in-between in this. That it's either you die to self on earth here and live the life that I have for you, or you live the life that you have for you and die later. What will it proffer you to live the life that you want to live here and lose your soul eternally here? So there's this ultimatum here that means follow me. Okay, when someone, when someone says to follow you, it's kind of important to know where you're going, right? 
So when someone says to follow you, when Jesus says, follow me, I would like to know where he's taking me. Now, he doesn't, through a relationship with him, yes, but just in this context, the general context, he doesn't say, follow me, and then proceed to explain to you all the things you're going to go through in life. That would be nice, right? But he doesn't. What he says is, follow me to life. Follow me to life. But what the enemy doesn't tell you is that if we're not following Christ, then we're following the enemy. We're following the world. There's one or two. There's not an in-between. You are following the enemy or you are following Christ. So you are following life. And then the enemy, what he forgets to say is, follow me, don't die to yourself, and follow me to death. So we are living life right now, following life or following death. Every single day that we wake up. But then think of it this way. Remember the other word for following was imitating? So right now, is your life imitating life or imitating death? I wrote that in my notes. It was like we could be living life every single day, imitating death because we're following and imitating the enemy instead of following and imitating Christ. If I'm not imitating Christ, I'm imitating the world, which means I'm imitating death in my life. And we wonder why we're, 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 facing what we've, we're facing what we're facing. We wonder why we're walking through what we're walking through, why everything's hard, why we can't make decisions, why it just seems, are we imitating life or are we imitating death? We're going to face hard things regardless. But Paul, and we're going to get to this a lot later, but I just have to, to put this right here. It was in our, our children's classroom this week. But we were talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and we're talking about joy. And Paul, in Philippians, Philippians is, is called the book of joy, but it was written from prison. And so we see the perspective that Paul has. He's literally in prison writing the book of joy. Not where I would pick. I mean, I would pick the beach in Hawaii to write the book of joy, not prison. But Paul chose prison to write the book of joy. And he's writing all of this, and he's writing to the church. And he says, hey, so I know it's really a big bummer that I'm in prison, but let me tell you what happened. What we thought was delayed ended up being that God put me here in prison at this specific time. And now the, the ministries, the salvation message was able to reach every single person in this prison, including the Roman guards. And he's like thrilled and so excited in prison. Why? Because he's imitating life that even in this trial, even in this struggle, even in this impossible situation that he's facing, he wasn't having a meltdown. He never actually, if you read the entire book of Philippians, you will never find his prison conditions actually mentioned from him. Commentators will mention it, and theologians will, will mention it. Paul never actually mentions the conditions of his circumstance in the entire book of Philippians. Instead, he says, well, what we thought was a bad thing ended up being a good thing because if I was still out there, then the Roman guard wouldn't have got saved. Would you look at that? And he's just thrilled about this circumstance. And I go, I wonder if we face life that way. Why? Because Paul was imitating life. He wasn't imitating death. So let's keep going here. Let's go to uh, Matthew 10, 38. Just a couple pages back. And it says, And he who does not take his cross, expressing willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me, is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life in this world will eventually lose it through death, and whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it, and that is life with me for, uh, for all eternity. So there again, just re-emphasizing what this follow me actually means. Now let's look at John 12, 26. Just a couple more and then we'll, we'll keep going. But I want to lay a, a solid foundation of what does it mean to really follow Jesus. And it was very convicting to me to go, am I really following Jesus? Because if I'm really following Jesus, then every person that I encounter, I should be leading them to Jesus. Not about him. Not to a lifestyle. Not to a good idea. Not to an opinion. But if I'm truly following Jesus, then every person we encounter should be led to Jesus because that's where we're going. Crazy, right? All right. So Matthew 12, 26. Maybe that is not the scripture that I wanted. Did I say 12? Oh, John 12, 26. That's why I was like, Beelzebul has nothing to do with what I'm talking about tonight. <laughs> I mean, don't name your kid that. 
<laughs> we learned something from that so far. <laughs> John 12:36 or 12:26. Now everybody's going to be confused. I'm going to start in 25. The one who loves his life eventually loses it through death, but the one who hates his life in this world and is concerned with pleasing God will keep it for life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must continue to faithfully follow me. This part, without hesitation. Must continually follow me without hesitation. And I think just through my life, this is totally not a message that I'm like, everyone needs to hear this. This was a message that I needed to hear that I go, okay, so when it says that will continually follow me, I got to read that line again. Will, he will continually to faithfully follow me without hesitation. How many times do we hesitate to follow what God is wanting us to do versus what the world is offering us to do? We hesitate like there's an option. When we, when we think about it between life and death, of course there's not an option. I'm not going to choose death. But Satan wraps it up so pretty that in life we're like, uh, is it an option to do exactly what the word says or is there some room to kind of follow Jesus with binoculars instead of right there? There's this hesitation. So to follow me without hesitation, holding steadfastly to me, conforming to my example in living, if need be suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. And wherever I am in heaven's glory, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So when it says the follow him, when he says the follow me, okay, let's think about, because we're still, we got to still paint the picture of what he's asking the disciples here, right? Because he's asking us the exact same question. When he says follow me, I guess it's really not a question. It was kind of more of a demand kind of posed as a question, but he says follow me, right? And so when you think about the, the disciples, when it says they immediately got up, there had to be something there to immediately get up and follow him. Not a pretty picture. They didn't have phones and they're like, okay, Jesus, followed you. Have a nice day. No, they immediately got up and walked. They started walking in his pattern of living. Immediately, it said. So when we look at this and it says that whoever serves me, my father will honor him. So now we see something here that it says, okay, so I'm leading you to life. So they knew that when I get up and I follow Jesus, there's a life that he has to offer me that I can't get for myself here. They were doing their jobs when Jesus said, follow me. They were fishing, they were collecting taxes, and they were doing what all the rest of them did when Jesus said, follow me. And then they got up immediately and they followed. So they were doing their jobs. They were providing for their lives, living their lives in that moment and knew the life that Jesus had to offer was better than what they could provide for themselves. But then here's the next one. It says that my father will honor him. Can you imagine being honored by God? Like that thought. It sounds terrible to say, like God, God honors me. God honors my life because I chose to follow him. But it says that he honors him. You have the favor of God on your life? Because it's crazy. It's more than we can imagine what God has in store for us. We serve such a good, good God, but we have the choice to follow him. The disciples had the choice to follow him or not. It says that they chose to follow him. Okay, let's look at John 8, 12. Once more, Jesus addressed the crowd and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we know that it says in, in Psalms that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But it says you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's some darkness, right? But if we have the light of life, because we are following the light of life, then even in the darkness, we can see our way through. We're going to face things. We're going to have hard times. But we will either be following darkness or following light. 
No one wants to follow darkness through the darkness of the world. We want to follow the light through the darkness of the world, and we have access to that. But we have to keep in mind the definition of follow me. Now let's look at John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the only way to God and the real truth and the real life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The only way to God is through Jesus. The only way. So that's following Jesus. Through following Jesus is the only way to life. We can't get it on our own. And we saw before, we can live life here, but we're going to lose it later. And what gain is it to you if you live this whole life in the happy life that you have and lose your soul in the end? And it says that this is the only access to real life. This is the only access to truth. So if you, you always got to look at the opposite here, because if God is one thing, then the enemy is the polar opposite, the immediate opposite, and we're following one or the other. So if we are a follower of Jesus, then we are following the only way to God. We are following the real truth, and we are following real life. So if we are not following Christ, and we're following the world or whatever we think we're following that's outside of Christ. But if we're following the world, then we are following lies. We are following death and we are following the God of the world, not the God. Crazy when we look at it in a black and white. We are following one or the other. Who are we following? And then again, who are we imitating with that? So Jesus desires for us to follow him and, and as I was thinking that through, I went, okay, so what else did he, did he have to tell the disciples there? And I started thinking about just the character of who Jesus really actually is, who the character he is in our lives, because maybe, see, I would have a hard time following somebody that I didn't trust or that wasn't an expert in their field of whatever we were doing, right? So I would follow a hunting guide because they're an expert in that area. I don't have to know them, but I would follow them because of their expertise, right? So I would follow somebody because I knew them. I would follow somebody because I know their character. And I wonder, sometimes maybe we hesitate to follow Jesus. We hesitate to truly commit, to truly obey everything that's in the word of God. We hesitate to live completely all in for him because maybe we haven't seen his character. Maybe we haven't come to the place that we truly know who he is. When the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Why? That was my question I wrote here. Why does Jesus want us to follow him? Have you asked yourself that? But why? Why does he want us to follow him? Why, with the, with the definition here, why to follow Jesus do I need to obey, worship, and honor him? Why do I take him as my guide in doctrine, in opinion, in example, and belief? Why am I a dependent on him? Why does he want me to be an imitator of him? Why do I want to be under his command? Why is that a thing? And you think, we already talked about a couple of them, that that's the only access to life. But then when you think about the kind of God he is, that the reason he wants us to follow him is because he's already been in our tomorrows. He already knows what we're going to go through. He already knows the trials that we're going to face. He has a bird's eye view of everything going on, and he knows how to get through it. If we're not following him, listening to his voice and under his command, then we're under the command of the enemy who's not going to walk us through where we're headed. He is not going to get us to where God wants to take us. And so why does he want us not to control us, but to bring us to freedom, to bring us to life? That is why he wants us to follow him. And then you, you can read and it says that he goes before us, that he's the God that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm the God that goes before you. You have no reason to fear. Why would I follow anybody else? That was the counter question that I had. Why would we follow someone else when we have the opportunity to follow someone who knows the playing field, who knows the enemy, who knows what we're going to face and has given us everything that we need to walk through it. But in following him, I can't say that I'm following Christ and live following the enemy. I can't speak that I'm following life and live following death. We have to put our money where our mouth is. We have to back up what we're saying, meaning we have the choice to live following Christ or following the enemy. So my question there is, are we really following Jesus? Are we really following Jesus? Paul says, be imitators of me as I am imitators of Christ. And then Ephesians, it says that to be imitators of God. 
Paul can boldly say, be an imitator of me. Imitate my life. Follow me. So Paul's repeating here what we see Jesus saying. Jesus said, follow me. Paul said, imitate me. Same word. We see that interchangeably. But Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I wonder how many of us can actually say that with boldness as Paul did and say, imitate me. Imitate my life. If you're following my life, then I know you're following Jesus because that's where I'm going. Can we boldly say that, that no matter, not just our church life, if they followed us home, if they followed us to our hobby, if they followed us to our phone, if they followed us to the internet, if they followed us to any of these places, anybody, can we boldly say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me because I follow Christ. And I can guarantee if you follow me, I'm going to lead you to Jesus. Can we say that? Because that's what we were created to say. That's what we were created to say. We were created to lead people to Jesus. His purpose is always people. If we think our purpose is anything outside of people, it's not a purpose from God. Because God's purpose, Jesus' purpose, is always, always, always people. So can we boldly say that? Do we imitate him inside out? If we, if we go backwards there, I just want to say one more thing about the disciples. Um, when Jesus told them to follow him, and if you read it in... Luke. I got mixed up before church. I told Lauren, which gospel was it? One of them. I think it was Luke. Um, in his translation of what took place when Jesus told him to follow him, it said that he had actually gone and told them to cast your nets on the other side because that they were fishing and they couldn't get on their own. And then Jesus told them, cast them on this side of the boat. And it says that their nets were overflowing. And then that's when he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay. I want to see the picture that that's painting though in our lives is that Jesus is sitting right there watching our lives, going, do you see what you're catching for your life? All your effort, all your energy, everything in your own strength, do you see the results? They're coming up empty, coming up empty, coming up empty, coming up empty. The crazy thing is, Jesus didn't ask them to do anything beyond what they were already doing. Beyond where they already, they, he didn't ask the fishermen to go collect taxes. He didn't ask Matthew to go get a fishing pole. They were already doing what they were doing. They were already, he, see, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, those all came from God. And so where we're at right now, what we're doing in life right now, yeah, that may change. It may change a hundred times, but... When Jesus steps on the scenes, whatever we are setting our hands to, it says we'll be blessed when we're following Jesus. But before we're following Jesus, when we're trying to do it in our own strength, we're going to come up empty every time. Is it crazy that one word from Jesus says, hey, cast them to the other side? And what did Peter say? We, we have been here all night and not caught anything. Can I tell you, God, that I'm not going to keep doing what I'm doing because that's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. You can see the argument taking place. And Jesus says, no, cast them to the other side. What's he showing them? When you walk in obedience to what comes out of my mouth, look at the fruit that comes from what your same hands are doing with the same nets on the same boat in the same water. But when you're doing it in your own strength, you'll come up empty. But when you do it in obedience to my word, it comes up overflowing. So this is the picture that Jesus is painting for the disciples. Why did they immediately follow him? Because the next command out of his mouth was follow me. The first one was throw your boats over. They saw the, or the net over. You saw the result of that. Then he says, follow me. And I could imagine they're like, you bet. In a complete obedience, we just saw what took place when we were obedient to the word of him. And now we're going to live our lives in that same obedience because we know that we will come up this empty every time, exhausted, tired, burnout, up all night, working all night, trying to accomplish what we need to accomplish for life in our own strength and be empty. But obeying one word from Jesus changed everything in a second. That is following Jesus. But what did they do? They had to obey. They had to choose to obey. They had to, and then I love that it said immediately because then when we read it again and it said without hesitation. It says that the disciples immediately got up to follow them or follow him. And I go in every area. That was my prayer today. I said, God, in every area of my life, let there be an immediately. God said and shall be immediately. God said and shall be immediately. Regardless of what it is, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what Jesus is saying, regardless of what the word says, let it be immediately. 
because why would I take one more second pulling in an empty net when I have access to overflowing nets right here? But it takes obedience. It takes obedience beyond what I believe of my circumstance. It takes obedience beyond what I think is going on. It takes obedience beyond of what everybody else says is okay. It takes obedience beyond what I've been told my whole life, beyond what my opinion is, because in following Jesus, my opinion is changed and transformed into his opinion. And it changes everything to follow him. So I want to walk through here quickly um, eight characteristic characteristics of being a follower of Christ. But before we do that, I have one more statement to make. Too many of us live our lives and we wonder why we're frustrated. Jesus said, follow me. But too many of us live our lives taking Jesus's quote to us. Jesus, I need you to follow me and bless everything I'm doing. Jesus said to follow him, but we live with follow me. God, this is what I'm doing, and I need you to bless it. Peter couldn't stay on the boat and go, hey, thanks, could you do that again over here? I'm going to go to this end. Jesus said, no, I said, follow me. He didn't go follow Peter. Peter followed him. But we live too often in the follow me. He said, follow me, and I will make you. Because Jesus wants, to, wants us to come to him as we are, but he doesn't want to leave us there. He loves us too much to leave us in the way he found us. It says that we are transformed glory to glory to glory to glory. And following Christ, when we're imitating Christ, that means from the inside out, remember, not outside in, from the inside out, our character, our mindset, our words, our attitudes, all of it is being changed and transformed into the likeness of Christ. That's what Christian even means, Christ-like. And a lot of us will say, I'm a Christian, but I wonder how many of us would walk up to somebody and go, I'm Christ-like. Are you? What about when you're angry? What about when things don't go your way? What happens when something unexpected comes up? Are you still Christ-like? Or is it only when everything's going good? And do we live wanting Jesus to follow us instead of us follow him? When it says, follow me and I will make you, we live. God, follow me and still make me. God, follow me over here. God, follow me over here. Remember the game, follow the leader? They had to do what they did. They had to say what they say, and they had to go where they go. So we want Jesus to follow us. Jesus, I want you to be okay with how I'm talking. I want you to be okay with where I'm going. And I want you to be okay with what I'm doing. That's how we live life. Instead of transforming into him, we want Jesus to somehow diminish his character in, in what we call grace. Grace is the empowerment to do right, not to stay where we're at. But we want grace to empower me to stay where I'm at. And Jesus, I need you to accept everything about me, where I'm at, where I'm going, and how I'm talking through grace. Because I don't want to follow you and have to change that. So we live vice versa. It's very clear here, 13 times to follow him. So followers of Jesus, they have a personal relationship with him instead of knowing about him. Let's look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Okay? So not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says they're following me, but not actually following me, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the ones that are genuinely following me will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day when I judge them, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and driven out demons in your name and done many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me. You are banished from my presence, you who act wickedly, disregarding my commandments. So out of your mouth, you say, Lord, Lord, God, I did this stuff. I talked like I followed you. I went to church like I followed you. I read my verse of the day like I followed you. But this says, disregarding my commandments, that he banished them from his presence because they disregarded his commandments. So they spoke one way. They said they followed, but they lived a different way. They never allowed their life from the inside out to imitate Jesus. They only fixed this out here. When we are worried with a godly appearance only, it will always reveal a godless internal. 
when we are appearance-oriented, that it's only God out here, it will always reveal the lack of God in here. Because God works from the inside out. He doesn't work from the outside in. So it says that these ones here were saying, no, no, I'm I'm drawn near to you. So a true follower will know him personally instead of just knowing about him. A true follower will know him personally. Here's the thing about knowing someone personally. It would be really hard if you did not know me for you to come introduce somebody to me. That not be a bit weird? I usually, well, I do sometimes. If I forget someone's name, I introduce you to somebody so that you have to tell them your name so I remember. So sometimes I'm the awkward one that does that. But beyond that situation, I normally do not walk up to strangers and go, hi, I wanted you to meet Cutter. It's weird for everybody. They're like, why are you introducing, who are you? But if we don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, how are we leading other people to Jesus? We're only bringing them some more knowledge. Let me tell you about Jesus because I don't actually know him. But then I wonder, in, in our homes, and, and mostly because I'm back there in the kids all the time. Like, that's where I thrive, is the back hallway. But here's what I wonder. How many of us are actually leading our kids to know Jesus or just know about him because we don't know him ourselves? You can't take someone somewhere you haven't been. And if you have no relationship with Jesus, there is no way you can take your kids to a relationship with Jesus. So they will grow up only knowing about him. They will grow up outside-oriented and never have the character in him because they're following and imitating you. And if you are not following and imitating Christ, then you're raising kids to follow and imitate the world instead of follow and imitate Christ. It's a hard truth, but I use the kid example, but that's everybody in our life. Because we don't have a personal relationship with him, but we expect our kids to have a personal relationship with him. But we're imitating the world and teaching them to do the same. Because they're going to follow and imitate us. And everybody in our life. So followers have a personal relationship with him instead of knowing about him. Here was the other thing I found interesting. If you read all through the Gospels, you see the 12 disciples are with Jesus all the time. But then you know what else you see? You see multitudes. And they come and they depart. And they come and they depart, 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 and they're always known as the multitude. None of them actually have a name because they come and they depart. But in multiple, multiple parables, multiple times when Jesus was talking, he said, if you want to be my disciples, follow me. And he, and he explained it. Do you know who followed him? The twelve. And then the other multitude that came and then departed. This was the other interesting thing to me. The 12 disciples did not have a miracle performed on them. Like, none of them were lame. None of them were blind. None of them had leprosy. None of them, they just followed Jesus. They witnessed all kinds of miracles that Jesus was doing, which is incredible to me. But even the ones that were blind departed. The ones that had leprosy departed. The ones, and the story goes on. You see, they come, they depart. They come, they depart. And so, if we don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, none of those people, they may have experienced a miracle. And then that's powerful. That's incredible. Miracles are absolutely remarkable. But they may have experienced the miracle. But they missed out on the fullness of life that Jesus had available to them. Because they came and they departed. And they came and they departed. Sometimes the only time we want anything to do with Jesus is when we need a miracle, is when we need help, is when we need a fix for our situation, is when we've tried everything else and he's our very last resort and if he could just fix it, so then it gets fixed and we depart. And it got fixed in that moment, but then we miss out the fullness of life that Jesus had available for us because we didn't want to follow him. We just wanted to come and get it fixed and depart. How sad to miss out on everything that God had for us. So I wrote down, a follow and depart lifestyle will never allow Jesus to impart life to us. Number two, followers lead people to the person of Jesus and not just the knowledge of him. John 10, 27. 
we lead people to the person of Jesus and not just the knowledge of him. I know it's very similar to number one, but we can't lead people to the person if we don't first know the person. The sheep that are my own hear my voice and listen to me. I know them and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice. They hear me. They listen to me. I know them and they follow me. I know them and they follow me. The ones that are mine. Jesus is taking, going, I know the ones that know me. Number three, followers surrender everything and not just some things. Followers surrender everything and not just some things. Let's look at Matthew 19, 21. Followers surrender everything and not just some things. Because sometimes we think that following Christ costs too much. And we just read that we can, we can build our life on earth, but at what expense? We, we lose our soul. So in 1921, um, this is the story of the, the rich young ruler. And it says that he came and he's telling Jesus all these things that he's doing right. All of these things. And again, imitating Jesus takes, takes first internally before it takes place externally. And so Jesus wanted to talk to the root of this guy right here. And so he said, okay. He said, Jesus answered him because this guy wanted to be a disciple um, and, and get uh, eternal life. And, and Jesus answered him and said, if you wish to be perfect, that is have the spiritual maturity that accompanies godly character with no moral or ethical deficiencies, go and sell what you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Look at this. Becoming my disciple, believing and trusting in me, and walking in the same path of life that I walk. The same follow me that he used with all the other disciples. The exact same one. He gave the opportunity to this rich young ruler. And it says, but when the young man heard this, he left grieving and distressed, for he owned much property and had many possessions, which he treasured more than his relationship with God. more than his, had the same opportunity to become a disciple, but he was okay with giving almost everything, just not everything. And we can so easily live our lives that way that, you know, I value this more than my relationship with God. God, I know you want every part of me. God, I know you want me to go all in, but this part, I just, I just value this a little bit more. I just value this a little bit too much. And, you know, I can, I can just imagine Jesus is going, I'm not trying to take your stuff away. I'm trying to get rid of the thing that's still in life from you. But we think it's, it's given us life. And Jesus is trying to get rid of the very thing that's allowing death access to our life. But we don't want to sacrifice it because we don't want to give Jesus everything. So I wrote this, the thing that it will allow, the thing that we allow to replace our relationship with Jesus will eventually be lost. The thing that we allow, so that very thing that we're living our lives for, that very thing that we go, God, I can't give that area to you. In the end, it's going to be lost too. So now you've lost your relationship with Jesus and the thing that you lived your life for. Both of them. Because I didn't want to misread what it was. Followers surrender everything and not just some things. Um, God, if I've got it, you can have it. That's the mindset of a follower. God, if I've got it, you can have it. That's a follower that surrenders everything. Any gift, any talent, any ability, any relationship, any, anything, any job, any finances, any item, anything in my life. If I've got it, you can have it. Let's look at Matthew 8.22 really quick. I know there's a lot of scripture, but I just want to back this up because this was such a huge topic to me today that we hear, follow me, follow me, follow me. And I go, how many of us are really following him? Um, this is when Jesus was, was calling another one of the disciples. But it says, but Jesus said to him, follow me, believing in me as master and teacher, and allow the spiritually dead to bury their own dead. So what had happened was he called these disciples and they said, we got to go take care of some things first and then we'll follow you. And Jesus said, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. He wasn't being insensitive to what was happening because they were wanting to go back to bury a family member. But so Jesus wasn't being insensitive. But what he's saying here is when I call you to follow me, it's not when it's convenient for you. 
It's not when you get around to it. It's not after such and 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 such. He's saying, I need you to follow me regardless of what's going on. I need you. I have life for you regardless. And it's not just when you're not busy. I don't need you to follow me just when you have time for me. I don't need you to follow me just when you're having a crisis. I don't need you to follow me just when it's convenient. I need you to follow me consistently. I need you to be committed to me. So that's what he's trying to say here. Number four, followers recognize their need for Jesus. And that one, I, I'll give you some scriptures that you can, well, we'll read it. Jeremiah 29, 13. Followers recognize their need for Jesus. Then with deep longing, you will seek me and require me as a vital necessity, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. When we require him as a vital necessity, meaning I can't live without Jesus. I can't live without Jesus. Is our relationship with Jesus so tight? And this is like honest assessment, like just between you and your notebook. But your, your honest assessment, if you can live without Jesus, you will. If you can live life outside of the word, outside of prayer, outside of worship, outside of church, you will because we haven't found it as a need in our lives. A true follower will recognize, I need Jesus. Because here's what the enemy wants you to believe. Jesus needs you, and you're doing him a service by serving him. (laughs) And so we live like we're the ones that Jesus needs. Okay, God, now that I have time for you, you can have me. You're welcome for the blessing of my 20 minutes this morning. And we feel like we're blessing Jesus with our presence. He created you. Like, he can, like, make you disappear. (laughs) Banish you from his presence, as it said before. (laughs) Right? Okay? And we feel like we're blessing him with our time. You're not blessing him with your time. He's blessing you with your time. And we live, and we keep ourselves from life. We keep ourselves from blessing, and we keep ourselves from favor because we live like we're blessing God. And then we do that with church. I'm on the children's schedule today. I'll go bless the Lord with my time. The church does not need your service. You need the church's service. That's why it was created. So we were created to come to church. The purpose of church, God created the church to bless you. But we think we bless the church. (laughs) I bless the church because I attended. I can't miss church because... I need to, you know, follow Jesus on Sunday. And so I need to come to church and bless the church with my presence and bless the... No, no. The church was created to bless you. That's why God put the church here. That's why God built the community and the family of the church so that when you come to church and you're a part of the body of Christ, you're literally a part of the body of Christ that's giving you life, that's able to bless everything that you do. That is the purpose of the church. But sometimes we live like we're the blessing <laughs> that walked in the room. You're, you are all great. But you don't have the power to bless anybody. Only Jesus does. And so we have to live in that humility, in that lifestyle to go, I need Jesus or I can't take anybody anywhere, including myself. I need Jesus. That's why I don't live without church. That's why I don't live without Christian community. That's why I don't live without the word, without prayer, without any of these things, because I know that God created for those things to give me life. I'm not a blessing to them. They are a blessing to me. We got to switch our mindset. Jesus does not follow you to church. He's already here. And sometimes we think we're bringing him, like the church needs me to come, so Jesus comes this morning. No, he's here. He needs you to come. Um, Number five, followers choose to change. Followers choose to change. This is where we take our lip surface and we turn it into action. Followers choose to change. True followers of Jesus There are way too many of us that want to follow Jesus with our lips, but we do not want to get rid of character that we don't need to have. We do not want to change our our mouth. We do not want to change our mind. We do not want to change the way that we, we treat other people. We do not want to forgive. 
We want to hold on to bitterness and offense. We want to hold on to, to the things in our life that we know we want to get rid of. We don't want to grow our character. We don't want to grow and imitate Christ. We don't want to obey the fullness of the words, just the part that we like. True followers of Jesus are willing to change. We have to change our mindset. We have to change. Why? Because Jesus is controlling us? No. Because we can't live a lip service of following Jesus and have a lifestyle that's imitating the enemy. So if we do not choose to change, we will live our lives imitating the enemy with a lip service to Jesus. And that's when he says, I will banish you from my presence. It's kind of harsh, but I really like the phrase. I think it's wonderful. I'm going to start telling people that I am banishing you from my presence. <laughs> I really like it. Um, Jesus wants us to come as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. It's not enough just to hear, do the duty, and be around Jesus. We must choose to change. A godly appearance will reveal a godless inside. We must live in complete obedience to the word of God. And the example I want to use there is Judas was also a disciple. Three years. Three years Judas walked with Jesus. Three years. When, it, when Jesus originally called him, he said that there was a devil in him. <laughs> and uh, three years later, we saw that there really was. But Judas had the opportunity to change, just like every other one of the disciples. He had the opportunity. He was in the presence of Jesus for three years, surrounded by the disciples, seeing the same thing that they did. The church on Sunday, the church on Wednesday, the, the appearance of life, Judas had it all. But Judas was also the one when Mary is pouring her perfume on the feet of Jesus that says, what a waste. So worship was a waste to Judas. The things that mattered, the things of value were a waste to him. And then we know that he sold Jesus for some silver. He sold Jesus for some silver. And it said before he died that he actually threw the silver on the temple floor and hung himself. The very thing that he gave up his relationship with Jesus, he threw on the floor and then offed his life. Why? Three years in the presence of Jesus. But it just goes to show us that we can live our lives in, in Christian community. We can live our lives following Jesus and never choose to change in here. And that's always going to come out in the end. But how scary, how dangerous. Three years, a disciple. And then the other part that's crazy to me is that after the Holy Spirit comes, after all that, it says the disciples went to select another disciple. So the, very, the, the position that Judas had he was replaced because he never chose to change in here. See, God's going to accomplish his purpose. God's going to, he has a plan, a purpose on every single one of our lives. But we can choose not to walk in the fullness that he has available to us. We can choose to live our lives short of the life that God has for us by living, disregarding the word of God, by living outside of a relationship with the word, outside of a relationship with prayer, outside of a relationship with Jesus. We can live that way and miss everything that God has for us. How sad. But he got his 30 shekels of silver. He got what he wanted. And we see where it ended up. So true followers choose to change. Number six, followers are committed to the end. They're sold out. They don't quit. They don't take time off. They don't come only when they need something. They don't come only when things are good. And this was the cool part, is that if you're sold out, if you're sold out to Jesus, you just want to be where he is. And I think about all the people that we read about in the Bible. How did Daniel go into the lion's den? How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walk into a fiery furnace? How did David confront Goliath? How do we see these people? How did Moses cross the Red Sea? And, and then we see Joshua and the, and the walls fall. And we see the story with Gideon. And we see Esther going in and, and saving an entire nation. And then you get to the New Testament. And you see Paul who's shipwrecked, snake bitten, and 
thrown in prison and beaten with rods and, and everything else he endured and the persecution the disciples endured. And I wonder, how did they do that? Because they knew that their worst day on earth with Jesus was better than their best day on earth without him. They knew that that my best day on earth by myself would not compare to the worst day on earth with Jesus because they had a complete different mindset of who he was. They were followers of him and they knew that if I'm going through that on my own, I can't see a way out and I have no access to help. If I'm going through that with Jesus, then I have access because I know who he is. He already knows what I'm going through. I can have joy in the midst of this. I can face whatever comes my way because I'm a follower of Jesus. I know what he has in store. I know what his promises are. And I know that I can trust on him. And I immediately can respond without hesitation because of my relationship with him, because I follow him. Verses on our own. So think about those people. How did they do it? When Jesus, when they're, when they're crossing the Sea of Galilee and there's this storm and he's sleeping, the disciples are freaking out. They had Jesus in their boat. But then we see later that Peter gets out on the water. Why? Because it was much safer on the water with Jesus than it was in the boat without him. Good choice, Peter. Even sinking in the water was safer with Jesus than on the boat without him. And then if we would understand that mindset that there is nothing that can touch us when we are walking and following Jesus, nothing, stuff's going to happen. It's going to hurt. We have emotion. We got things that are going to go on, but we already have the victory on the other side. But remember when we're imitating him, our eyes are on him. You can't imitate someone that you're not watching. So if our eyes are on him, then we're not looking at our circumstance. We're looking at him. So followers are committed to the end. They're sold out. Number seven, followers see the bigger picture, that the purpose is always people, that even though I'm going through what I'm going through, it may be an opportunity for someone to be ministered to that would never had the opportunity to be ministered to before. But if I'm just focused on me and my problem, then we've taken God out of the equation and we'll miss the opportunity that God's put right in front of us. Number eight, followers trust their leader. Proverbs 3, 5, and we trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Followers, trust their leaders or their leader. And if you think about Jesus and you think about the stories throughout the Bible, and I'm closing right here if you want to stand with me. But if you think about the stories throughout the Bible, if you think about, I mean, just, just use Egypt as an example, and you can actually go through the entire Old Testament and the New Testament, and you see that Jesus, the, the, the Godhead, is always taking, always taking people from where they're at to where he has them. He takes them from where they're at right now to the life that he has in store for them. He took them out of bondage in Egypt to get them to the promised land, right? So he's always moving things forward. He's always moving you to the life that he has for you. But we have to be the ones to be obedient to that. We have to be the ones to follow him in that. And I'm going to read Mark 138 really quick. As we close just to, sh- to, to show this, but see, sometimes we just want to stay comfortable. We want to get to a point with Jesus and be comfortable. And that's a dangerous place because comfort is the opposite of growth. You cannot be comfortable and grow at the same time.